Chapter 18 of the History of England in Words of One Syllable. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Rita Boutros. The History of England in Words of One Syllable by Helen W. Pearson. Chapter 18 Charles I. Charles I had good looks and grace of mane, with none of the odd ways and tricks of James, so that the English were glad to hail him as king. For some years all was peace, but there were some who did not like his friend, the Duke of Buckingham, and thought he had too much to say, and they did not like to have a queen who was a papist. The Puritans did not want the rules of the Church of England, and there was a man by the name of Dr. Laud who was sent to each church to put these rules in force. Some went off to America where they could serve God in their own way, but those who were left did not keep still. Then the king had need of gold and chose ways to raise it that the folks did not think just. In old times King Alfred had made a tax to build ships. It was known as a ship tax, but in time the funds were put to all sorts of use. Then, too, gold was got from fines. When a man was brought up for a fault, they brought him to a room known as a star chamber, and he had to pay a good sum to get free. When Parliament would not give the king gold, he broke it up, and sent through the land to raise funds by the ship tax, but there were some who would not pay it. They said the king broke the laws when he sought to reign with no Parliament. But King Charles would not call a Parliament for ten years. The folks said the worst times had come back when kings could rob the poor. Buckingham had met his death by a stab to the heart from the hands of a man by the name of Felton. Charles had sent help to the French Protestants at Rochelle, which was in a state of siege. Buckingham was to have led the troops, which did not please the English at all. He was a proud, cold man, and had not made friends of them. All thought that the king would do well now the bad friend was gone. But he went on to try and make the Scots come back to the church. He had a hard time, too, in Ireland, and at last all those who did not like him made a league to fight him, and he had to call his parliament at last to raise funds. They were not in a mood to grant boons. They put an end at once to the ship tax, and the court of the Star Chamber, and they threw the king's two great friends, Laud and Strafford, into jail. The Earl of Strafford had charge in Ireland, and had kept strict rule there. He was thought a hard man, and he sought to make the king rule with a strong hand. The Parliament said he should have his head cut off, but they could not do it save in the king's name. At first Charles stood out and would not give up his dear friend, 
but there was such a rage at this that the queen with tears pleaded with the king to save all and put his name to the writ of death he did so but did not cease to mourn the act till the end of his life the parliament took things more and more in their own hands and some of them went on to rail at the king in such a way that charles went there to take five men who were the worst of the lot but by some means these men had heard of it and were not there and the londoners rose up in a great mob to cry down the king the queen with the princess mary went to holland and there was a match made for the young girl with the prince of orange then the queen bought stacks of guns for the troops of king charles for there was war now with the king and his parliament those who held with the king were known as cavaliers and those who were not with him had the name of puritans or roundheads they got this last name from the way in which they wore their hair it was the mode in that day to have the locks long but they chose to have their hair cut short round their heads the puritans had a hate for all the forms of the church of england and they were for the most part strict and grave folks who did not care for feasts or fine clothes while the cavaliers though they were fond of fine dress were bold and brave full of dash and fond of a good time prince rupert led the king's troops he was a brave young man but was apt to think he had won the day ere the work was half done at first the king's troops who knew most of the arts of war got the best of it but there was one man on the side of the Puritans by the name of Oliver Cromwell, who soon made it plain that he was born to lead men. From the time he was put at the head of the Puritans, they won their cause. The three chief fights were Edgehill, Marston Moor, and Naseby. The Puritans had all things their own way. Archbishop Laud was put to death and at the same time they put out the priests of each church and put their own men in and would not keep in use the book from which the folks had been wont to pray they did not like such fine things and would smash all the glass of rich hues and use the font for a trough and put their steeds in the church king charles was in such a sad case he thought he might find friends with the Scots, as he had been born in Scotland. But they did not prove friends, and gave him up for a sum of gold to the English. So Charles was now in the hands of the long Parliament, which did not wish to have a king at all. The king would have done much to please them, but there was no end to the things this long Parliament chose to ask at last oliver cromwell sent some of his men to take the king out of the hands of parliament and he set to work to try him first he sent one of his men to turn out all in parliament who would not do his will then he made a sort of court to try the king they brought all kinds of things to his charge 
but as Charles thought they had no right to try him, he would not speak. So they said that in three days he should have his head cut off. He bore all in a meek, calm way, and was heard to pray for his foes. The queen was in France, and his children, Elizabeth, twelve years old, and Henry of five, were brought to see him the night ere he was to die. He took his boy on his knee, and told him to mark what he said, and to mind not to set up for a king as long as Prince Charles and Prince James should live. The boy said with tears, I will be torn to bits first. Then there was naught but for the king to kiss and bless them, and give them his last good-bye. The next day was January 30th, 1649. They let the king have Bishop Dusson to read and pray with him. Then he was led out to a place hung with black, and was heard to pray God to bless those who had been the cause of his death. He did not fear to die, but he did not wish to die hard. He said to one near, Take care that they do not put me to pain. He told the headsman, I will pray a short time, and then thrust out my hands, and that was to be the sign to strike. He said to Bishop Jusson, I have a good cause, and a God of grace on my side. The bishop told him he had but one more stage to go in this world, and that was a hard one, but it was short, and would take him a long way, all the way from this earth up to the home of the blessed. The king knelt down, laid his head on the block, and spread out his hands, and his head was struck off at one blow, and held up in the sight of all. A great groan burst from the crowd. He was put in a tomb at the St. George Chapel, Windsor, by four friends in the dead of night. It was a great shock to the Scots when they knew of this sad death of their king, and they sent word to the young Prince Charles that if he would come to them they would set him on the throne. Charles came, but he found that the Scotch were too strict and dull to suit him. The things that made the joys of his life were sins in their eyes. Still they gave him their help, and some of the English cavaliers came to his aid. They put the crown on his head at Scone, and he took the head of the army and went on to Stirling. Oliver Cromwell was ill in bed, but when he heard of this march he got out of bed in no time and went to work with a will. He got in the rear of the troops of Charles, and cut them off from Scotland. There was naught for them to do then but to go on to England. Then Oliver came up to them at quick speed, and a great fight took place at Worcester. The Scotch fought in such a brave way that it took five hours for Cromwell to beat them. Charles fled in the night with some of his men, to the house of a Catholic dame. There he had his hair cut off, and went out at break of day, as if to his work, in the clothes of a poor man, and with an axe in his hands. Some men, whose work was to cut wood, went with him, and they made a bed for him in the woods. 
From there he got on, and hid at times in barns. Once he had to climb up into a fine old oak and hide in the leaves, for he heard Cromwell's troops ride by, and he could hear from his perch the crash in the woods as they went on and beat the boughs. Then he had to walk and walk for more than one long day, and once when his foes gave chase to him, there was a young girl by the name of Miss Lane who let him ride on the same horse with her and strove to pass him off as a youth she had to serve her. But when they got to an inn he ran a great risk, for he did not know how to turn a spit when the cook bade him. But he got off safe, and a boat took him to France, where the Queen then dwelt. Elizabeth and Henry had been sent to the Isle of Wight. The young girl was seen to pine day by day, and one morn they found her dead, with her face laid on the word of God, which she held in her hand. Then Henry was sent to be with the Queen in France. James of York, the son who was next in age to Charles the Second, was in Holland. But at last the two went into the French ranks to learn the art of war. Oliver Cromwell, in the meantime, had kept up his rule. He put down the Irish with a strong hand, and when he did not want the long Parliament, he just went in with some troops and broke it up. Then he had a Parliament of his own, made up of a few men who would do as he bade them. The head man had the name of Barebones, so this was known as the Barebones Parliament. Oliver Cromwell did not have the name of a king, but his reign was like one for five years, with the same might as a real king. And he was not a bad man to rule England, for he thought it was God's work, and that God meant him to do it. Though he made war on a king and put him to death at last, he thought he was right. He felt that he was sent from the Lord to fight with his Bible and his sword. The cavaliers had a hard time with him, and he made them pay fines, and some lost their lands. Some went to Holland or France, and sent their wives home now and then to get the rents. Cromwell was stern, but he sought to be just, and he had to do as he did to keep the reins in his own hand. The cavaliers could no more have their own way in church, so they met in woods and caves and vaults. Cromwell's death came at the end of five years, and his son Richard had not the same strength of mind and strong will. He found he could not rule England, so he gave it up and went home to his own house. The folks gave him the name of Tumbledown Dick. No one knew then what was the best move to make, till General Monk, who was at the head of the army, said they had best bring back the king. So the Parliament sent word to Charles the Second, and a fleet went to fetch him. He came and rode through London streets, which were hung with green boughs and silk flags, and all were glad to see him back. But in the midst of the joy came the death of Prince Henry, and then of the Princess Mary, 
who had been the wife of William of Orange. She left one son, of whom you will hear in time. Then there was more change in all ways. In each church the Puritans gave way once more to those of the Church of England, and Jukeson, who had been with Charles I at his death, was made archbishop. The troops of Cromwell broke up, all but one band of men, whom the king took as his guards. In the end, though they had brought back Charles, Puritans and Cavaliers both felt that they had cause to find fault. Each thought the king should do more for him, and each had an axe of his own to grind. So Cavalier and Roundhead grew to have new names, and were known as Tory and Whig. A man had need to be both strong and wise to have dealt so as to please all, and Charles was a man who sought most to please his own self. He was bright, but not wise or good. He was full of wit and said droll things, but he did not keep his word, and none could trust him. He had a set of friends who were a shame to his court, but he did not care if that they made the time pass, so that he should not be dull. These friends took gold from the French king to get Charles not to help the Dutch in their war with the French. Then the Dutch went to war with the English for this, and there were some sea-fights in which James, Duke of York, fought in a brave way. In the year 1665 there was a sad plague in London. Folks were struck with it in a strange way if they went near those ill with it, and they would die in a few hours. When the plague was in a house, the door was shut, and a cross in red chalk put on it as a sign that none should go out or in. Food was set outside of the door so the folks could get it and a cart came round each day, which would stop at the house. The men who drove it would call, Bring out your dead! And when a corpse was brought out, it was borne off and thrown in a deep, long ditch. At last, by the grace of God, this sad pest left London and has not come since. The next year there was a great fire in London, which burnt down whole streets, St. Paul's Cathedral was burnt in this fire. At last they had to stop it this way. They blew up all that stood in the course of the flames, so that there was a space that the fire could not leap. In Scotland the king sought once more to make them use the mode of the Church of England. Then the Scots would not go to church, but met on hills and moors. Troops were sent to break this up, and there were sad scenes. The king's men were the most strong, and did harsh things, and vile acts were done. Charles had no heir, and the Duke of York was a Catholic, so there was a plot known as the Rye House Plot to kill him, so that the throne might go to the Duke of Monmouth. This young man was the son of King Charles and a girl to whom he had not been wed. This plot was found out. The headmen lost their lives, and Monmouth fled to Holland. 
Charles would let men preach to him and hear what they said of his life with a smile. But he did not leave off his bad ways. He spent the last Sunday of his life at play with his gay friends at cards. Then he had a stroke and sent for a Catholic priest. So it came out that he had been a Catholic all his life, but had not let it be known lest he should lose his crown. In this reign there were two great books brought out. John Milton, who had lost his sight, wrote Paradise Lost, and John Bunyan, a poor man whose work was to mend pots and pans, wrote The Pilgrim's Progress. End of chapter 18